Hi, I'm Robert McGinnis. I'm the driver of the number nine Palto Network Synchros Racing for Mazda car. And welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where we got the call, and we are subject to team orders, and we have to have a show this week. Okay, to be clear, we fully planned on having a show last week. We fully planned on having a show, but circumstances during the weekend came into play in such a way that we were not able to have a show. So team orders came down that this was the week we had to have a show. No, we didn't have blistering in the tires, but... Our, our weekends this fall, the, the timing seems to be very precise. And when the slightest thing shifts and, and mixes that up, everything kind of falls apart, which is kind of what happened last week. Well, yeah. And just like Formula One, we are a precision podcasting machine. All right, actually, Bake Off was on, and we were falling behind. <laughs> and let's face it, it was Cake Week that we got stuck on. It was Cake Week? I thought it was Biscuit Week. No, it was Cake Week. Okay. Yeah, it was It was totally Bake Off. We were binge-watching Bake Off. <laughs> Caught us. <laughs> this is a scandal worthy of the McLaren plan gate of ye olde days. Where the plans were left in the dumpster. and Oh, you think it's that? It wasn't Crashgate? It was definitely, it was Multi-21. A Multi-21, there you go. <laughs> but we actually, we, we, we do have a show for you this week. Now, of course, there was we a lot of stuff. We were not watching Bake Off last week. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot happening in the two weeks that we were gone. Well, there were, there was a race last week. That and was a race? What? That was a race? Yeah, it was a something. Cars got out on track. They ran around in circles. It was Russia. Circles. That was a race? It was the most exciting <laughs> Russian Grand Prix ever held. I'll give you that. And it was probably one of the few times this season that we got to see Lewis and Seb race head-to-head briefly. One <laughs> single spot. But, hey, it was a thing. Um, so there was this theoretical race last weekend. There's been, as of the time we're recording now and by the time you hear this there will have been a race this weekend and that's not what we're going to talk about most of this no this we're not going to get there we we've got other stuff i mean the on track action watch the tv watch your your sky sports coverage channel four coverage whatever the spanish t- channel is i don't care watch your other coverage because we have behind the scenes news to, to go through we do and not the least of which is the fact that Kimmy Raikkonen Kimmy. went to visit his next-door neighbors at Sauber <laughs> and has already had a seat fitting. Okay. So the, the, the theory is, it's, well, besides the fact that um, he actually lives really close to Sauber's base in Switzerland, um, is that he may actually be testing the, the, the Sauber either later this season 
or in the postseason test over in Abu Dhabi. Oh. And that's why he already had a seat fitting. Well, he's going to need a seat. But, you know, it's kind of weird because the way they make those seats, you're expecting his butt not to change in the next couple of months. And keep in mind, he's 38. His butt should be changing. Wow, that was a pretty harsh slam. He's 38. Get out of the car. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that too. I mean, what are we, like two minutes into the show and I'm already doubling down on the... Well, at the other side of the spectrum will be his new teammate, Antonio Giovinazzi. Is he 12? Um, No, actually, he's 24 years old. So not quite the other side of the spectrum. He's older than Max. Well, he's still technically a young driver because this would be his rookie season, which seems a little odd that, you know, we're, we're rookie season, he's at 24, and he's a young driver. And then you look at, like, oh, Max. Who just turned 21? 21 in Russia. In Russia. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, 24, he might be the same age as Daniel Ricciardo. He might be. I always think Daniel Ricardo's in his late 20s, but I think you're right. I think he's just in his mid-20s. Yeah. But uh, Antonio Giovinazzi will be joining Kimi Raikkonen at Sauber. And whoever replaces Kimi when Kimi quits. Well, and that's, that's kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but Marcus Erickson is technically still going to remain with the team as a reserve driver. You know why that is, right? Because there's really close ties between Marcus and the team and, like, his dad pay, gives the team money or something like that. It, it Close ties is Formula One speak for there's money. Yes. Yeah. The Erickson family, the Erickson brand. Or it's, it's a big, uh, his big sponsor or something along those lines. But he brings a lot of money to the team. Hence the and reason it's why financial backing. Right. Hence the reason why he's been in <clears throat> a backmarker team that t historically doesn't keep drivers for more than like a year or two. He's been there for five years. Has it really been five years? Five. Seems like three. Five years, I believe. Somebody said something about didn't he? Well, he may 2013. have he, he may have been in Formula One for five years, but I thought he started out with like Caterham or something like that. No, he didn't start with Sauber. He, he started may with not somebody have. else. He may have been. I don't. I don't remember. But he has been in Formula One for five years. We'd have to look it up now. Speaking of folks who have had seats bought for them, um, Esteban Ocon came out in the lead-up to Russia, and of all people, Esteban Ocon said that he believes that the hate that has been targeted at Lance Stroll is not normal. Not normal or warranted? Not normal. And he, he believes that he feels that Lance has been unfairly treated. He says, he says this because Lance is his best mate in the paddock, and we have a great relationship since a long time. People are like talk, people are talking like it is his fault, but it is not his fault or anything. So I wanted to share that with everyone and to just see all the hate I saw on social media. It is not normal. I think it is better to show your support more than hate. That just makes me like Esteban Ocon even more. He's a really sweet guy. 
I hesitate to say nice guy because we'll never see him again if we say that. Well, yeah. But he is a nice guy. Well, one of the ways that we could see him, and it does not sound like he is open to it, let alone Mercedes is open to it, but Helmut Marko was asked pretty directly in Russia what it would take for uh, Red Bull and and or Toro Rosso to consider taking on Esteban. And Helmut's remark was, he needs to cut all ties with Mercedes. We and will not take a driver that has ties to another team. Which I find to be disingenuous, considering they gave up signs to go sit on Renault's team for a period of time, yeah. but wouldn't let him cut ties. So I find that a little disingenuous. But I can understand the, the sentiment. I have a sneaking feeling that Ocon's going to become a reserve driver for Mercedes, the big Mercedes team, this for well, 2019. Well, he, he is technically their reserve driver. I think that he's going to hold that position for 2019, and I have a feeling that Valtteri has to watch himself. Because I think he definitely does. Because I have a sneaking feeling that Valtteri, ignoring the fact that he did have a blisteringly great pole lap in Russia, mm-hmm. Valtteri has consistently finished um, both quali and the race a, a significant amount of time below Lewis. Uh, I wouldn't three quite tenths go that to five tenths in... in most cases. Enough that it's like you're not driving the same car, and the two should be pretty close to each other if they're driving the same car. Well, there's the other thought. We know that Lewis has been entertaining thoughts of leaving Formula One and has acknowledged that at this point in his career, he is closer to the end of it than the beginning of it. So there is the possibility, say if Lewis was to announce his retirement next year, that Valtteri stays and then you bring Estepan to partner with him. That's definitely Which could be a good, a, a strong combination. That's definitely a possibility, not kind of knowing where Lewis is. But I think Lewis has got a three-year deal, right? Like that means anything? That's true. I mean, let's let's go back to Nico Rosberg, who, what, six months after putting up the video on social media of him signing his contract with Toto Wolff, announcing his retirement. I understand. I understand. But Lewis coming out and saying that he's closer to the end of the, his career than the beginning of his career since his career started when he was 13 <laughs> um, is called math. And Kimmy well, yeah. should listen to that kind of math. <laughs> I'm just suggesting. I'll buy him a whiteboard and a whiteboard marker so he can do the math himself. Well, you know, if you watch the, the Channel 4 coverage of Suzuka this weekend – particularly of the um um of the qualifying they they spoke with frederick Verser over at salber and they asked him this question of so fred how hard was it to convince kimmy raikkonen to come and drive for you in 19 and fred answered pretty much exactly like i expected him to answer the question we picked up the phone and we said hey kimmy you want to drive for us and he went okay mm-hmm. that was their negotiation which does not surprise me in the least. Yeah. So moving on to um, Haas, or a little more on Haas. I didn't even know we started Haas. I'm getting whiplash already. Well, we're talking about Haas because 
you know, the, the whole sale with Racing Point Force India, and by the way, I should also point out before I jump over to Haas, that if you're wondering how much it costs to buy a seat for Lance Stroll, that answer is 90 million pounds. Okay. That would be how much money Lawrence spent to purchase Force India. Now, is that what Lawrence put into Force India, or was that what the group that Lawrence is part of that bought Force the India? The Racing Point organization, of which Lawrence is the controlling person. Because okay. remember, it's now Racing Point Force India. They paid 90 million pounds to get Lance a seat. Okay. One could also look at it as they paid 90 million pounds for a fully functioning Formula One team. And the bonus prize was that daddy got his little boy a seat. Yeah, either way. I prefer to look at it as, you know. Because you are infinitely (laughs) negative. Only when it comes to Lance Stroll. I mean, keep in mind, Racing Point Force India, even though they had their points wiped out mid-season, has come back and is currently beating the back marker teams i mean they're doing really well well not just that but if you look at the amount of money that they should be earning from the points this year if they're allowed to to actually get that money because they're a new entity and it's all fuzzy that may actually bring in the 90 million pounds that they spent to get the team right and yet, VJ Malia couldn't make this team make money. Explain me that. Not just couldn't make this team make money, but couldn't make this team make money with all the sponsors that they were successful in getting, especially when you look at most of the other teams and the sponsors that are on their cars. Or lack thereof. Exactly. It, That's what's, well, it, it's the financial stylings of VJ Malia. Yes. I see her a jazz tune behind that. Possibly. <laughs> But where Haas now comes in, if you'll recall, in order for Racing Point Force India to collect the prize money earned by Sahara Force India, there needed to be unanimous agreement from the teams, to which Haas said, um, We're not, not just no, but hell no. We're not unanimous. You made us wait two years in order for us to get our first thing of prize money. They should wait, too. They're a new entity. Except they're not a new team, and Haas was a new team. And while but the I way hate the, the contracts are written... While I hate the rule, <clears throat> there's a difference. The problem is the way the Concord Agreement is written, for them to come in, they are supposed to be considered a new team. So the only way around this is unanimous agreement from the team owners. Okay, so when Lotus sold to Renault, mm-hmm. did they get unanimous votes? Because Haas was the round by then. Why we, didn't they say no then? Um, actually, I well, that was the year Haas started, so Haas may not have gotten a vote. I believe it's because of the timing of when the sale happens, because the sale happened mid-season, not post-season. I. I'm still saying that there's a lot of precedent for teams to keep the prize money when they convert but, versus being a brand spanking new team. And Haas, and Gene Haas has admitted he did this entry into Formula One the hard way. I, oh, ag- agreed 100%. The other thing to remember, though, with the Renault thing, since you bring it up, is that Renault also specifically 
negotiated the terms of their reentry with Bernie Eccleston. Because not only are they coming in and getting money, they're getting historic money. Right, because they're a historic team. And that may be part of how they got around it, is the fact that Renault never fully left the sport. Yes, they, they bought a team and are once again a constructor, but they were always a part of the sport as an engine builder. Mm-hmm. So that may that may have been the other loophole that they were able to use, but Force India couldn't do that. Now, Gunther Steiner did meet this weekend in Suzuka with Chase Carey and other leadership within Formula One group. And what Gunther says is that there was progress. He says, I cannot reveal what that progress was, but there was progress. He needs to speak more to Chase this weekend to see where this goes. But at this point, he doesn't know. Um, But supposedly there's been some kind of progress here. Whether that's progress that says that, no, they're not getting any money, or yes, they're getting money, or they're getting a percentage, we don't know yet. Okay. Now, Haas did confirm the drivers, correct? They did. It is confirmed that both Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen will again be driving for them for 2019. Gunther Steiner says that retaining the pair was a pretty easy decision, um, probably because the options are not that great at this point. I mean, yeah, you've got Stoffel Van Dorn running around, and that's interesting. You've got Pascal Verlein running around. That's probably got some interest. I don't know if they really want Marcus Erickson. Now, maybe it might be an easier decision if, I don't know, they looked at an American driver. Hmm? Hell, I would even be willing, I would think it might be a decent decision to look at maybe a Canadian driver like, oh, I don't know, James Hinchcliffe. That would be interesting. Just saying. That would definitely be interesting. Um, but I, I get it there. I think they're erring on a little side of caution. The devil, you know, I think that Gunther Steiner also said during the channel Four um, pre-qualifying coverage that when you looked across the pool of available drivers, and of course, myopically the formula one available drivers, um, what was available they weren't ranking any different than what they currently had. It yeah. wasn't like there was suddenly, uh, a Hamilton or Verstappen available that they could raise their game. And I don't think they wanted Kimmy. I I don't know. I don't think they were able to move on Kimmy quick enough if they did want him. I think that may have been some of it. I'm not sure that a team that is still trying to learn and develop wants a Kimmy. Kimmy. Wants a Kimmy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean – Clearly, the two of them are doing a decent job for this, especially this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Roman had a really rough weekend, a rough start of the season. Maybe like his whole first half of the season was pretty it's rough. Like that first eight races, no points. And and some of some of that wasn't even his fault. It was the team shooting some own goals on themselves mm-hmm. that just hurt him pretty bad. But they haven't done. I mean. Neither one of them have done all that bad, although Kevin's managed to rack up some controversy around himself. Controversy? The drivers are constantly complaining about Kevin. And we talked earlier about the the verbal exchange that occurred on air and between um, on-air interviews between Kevin and Nico Hulkenberg. There's <laughs> obviously no love lost between those two. Well, yeah. 
As somebody with K-Mag on their fantasy F1 team, I'm very pro K-Mag. <laughs> He's done me well. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Haas did have a little bit of an emergency uh, in the run-up to Russia. Oh, what happened? So they had team equipment stored in a warehouse, um, which a lot of the teams do staging for these races around the globe. And it, they had team equipment stored in a warehouse in Sochi uh, for the race, and that included um, several sets of tires. Unfortunately, there was a little bit of a fire. Now, the fire was actually from the warming blankets. Mm. Um, something They believe something short-circuited in the warming blankets, but as a result, two sets of tires were destroyed before the ra before the race weekend kicked off uh -oh. they requested and and were granted um to get replacement tires for the damaged ones but uh, yeah it's the first i've heard of a team needing to get replacement tires because their tires that were issued to them got damaged um root cause is believed to be something with the control box of the tire warmers the fire was spotted by a night security guard and extinguished by guards from the various teams before it could spread well that put a lot of people's tires at risk because it was probably the collection point for all of the shipping because well, you know they the all garages. Ship, yeah, yeah they all ship that together yeah so oh my well yay for night security guard who hopefully did not set the fire so he could become a hero well there's that too um in other news around haas we have a formalized date a formal date set by the FIA for the appeal of the team for the disqualification of Romain Grosjean at the Italian Grand Prix. November 1st. It, yep, November 1st in Paris. Mm -hmm. So we will see where that goes. Um, also in terms of settlements, you remember last year in Malaysia in one of the practice sessions, I believe. It, it was like free practice too. Um Roman Grosjean had a really heavy crash after hitting a loose drain cover. Right, and I remember the description of it. David Cothard was talking about the downforce underneath an F1 car actually creates a suction. Yeah. And so they have to come through when they do street circuits, and they weld the drain covers down. And sometimes that even that doesn't work. If you remember, I believe it was the very first... Um, Grand Prix in Azerbaijan, where Valtteri Bottas was driving through the pit lane, and the suction from the car pulled up the drains there and sent him flying through the pit lane. Right. So those are, I mean, that's pretty scary stuff. But you don't think about suction under a car. Yeah. But that's what downforce does. But in this case, we're, we're not talking a street circuit. We're talking a permanent track. When the drain cover came loose sent uh, Roman into a uh, spin at turn 13. Um, well, Sepang Circuit is paying Haas compensation for that crash. Oh, wow. Yeah. We don't have the exact amount. Um, they are keeping that hidden. Um, but there was an insurance claim paid off by the track to cover damages that Haas uh, sustained in that. 90 million pounds so they could <laughs> buy a Formula One team. <laughs> yeah. So in other driver news, announced in the run-up 
to the Russian Grand Prix is one of the seats for Toro Rosso has a driver for 19. Okay, this one is the one that just, like, it's weird to me. It, well, it's it's weird to a lot of people. I feel yeah. like, you know, you, you've heard, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Uh, that No, it, that's not what this is. because It's, it's like this will they won't they sam and diane it's this whole thing it keeps no, dancing w- with this boy <clears throat> i i don't even think let it's him that. go i i think this is almost like the whole kimmy reichen thing of he won't go away um what we're talking about is daniel kvyat has been named as one of the drivers for 2019 at toro rosso which you'll recall he started at toro rosso alongside um daniel ricardo Actually, yeah, alongside Daniel Ricciardo, he moved up to Red Bull with the departure of Sebastian Vettel, stayed there for about a year and a half, then was demoted back down to Toro Rosso, where he could not really get over his demotion, and was ultimately fired before the end of the season. Correct. And he's back. He's a bad penny. We can't get rid of him. I Well, you know who's probably really, really excited that Daniel Kvyat's coming back? Who? Oh, I'm out! Crash! Somebody hit me in the rear, turn two, and then somebody hit me in the rear again in turn three, for sake. Honestly, what the are we doing here? What the heck are we doing here? Sebastian is exactly what I'm asking. Why do we keep bringing this boy back? Oh, I was just going to point out that this happened to be one of the greatest hits from the Angry Seb period. Yeah. A lot of beat, but you didn't really dance to it. In, in, in the case of Daniel Kvyat, this would be multiple hits in the same race. It was the same incident. He caught him in corner. He hit him twice. Yeah. Like you just kept it was bumper it, uh, suddenly daniel was playing bumper cars when everybody else was playing f1 <clears throat> yeah i thought of pulling up the audio because i've got that too the audio in the driver's room post race from china which was the race before this where seb chewed out uh danny caveat for being the torpedo straight down and caveat going well, it's racing, and I ended up on the podium, and you ended up on the podium, so it's all good. And Seb's like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All righty. So then the next question becomes, well, what about all these other drivers that are kicking around? What are they going to do? All the ones that don't have seats for Formula One as we play musical uh Race seats? Yeah. Um, well, word is coming from the Dale Coyne indie team, and specifically from Dale Coyne himself, that he has approached yet another driver to potentially sit in one of their seats. Okay, do I need to call him and change out his calculator from the Monisha Keltenborn calculator that you cannot put three butts in one seat? I don't think he's... We've completely gotten to that point. And by the way, Dell Coin Racing is only going to run two cars. They're not going to run three cars, and they can do that in IndyCar. They can run... Actually, I think they could probably run as many cars as they can get the money four. for. Oh, they can run up to four? 
for. Well, Dale Coyne is just running two cars next year. Dale's admitted that he's already in talks with Pietro Fittipaldi and Santino Ferrucci for the seat. And now he said that, yeah, we, we've, we've even approached Offal Van Dorn. We've kind of got some interest in him, and, and maybe we bring him over. Okay, I'm telling you, if the if the waffle goes to mid Ohio, we there will be signs, there will be stalking, there will be all sorts of waffle hunting. The I flying sh- waffle will be unstoppable at mid Ohio. Oh yes, <laughs> oh yes. There may be T-shirts made. I mean, seriously, we will be standing in the pits. I don't with, know about T-shirts, but you never know. There may be T-shirts made. You don't don't okay. put it past me. But we'll take our box of uh, Eggo waffles. And we'll oh, you're not going to get that bad. Stroop waffle. Yes, we'll go Stroop waffle. It'll be waffles. Stroop waffle, even though that's Dutch and not Belgian. But still. We'll coat them in Belgium chocolate. Do I need to start the Bake Off theme again? <laughs> <laughs> no, we weren't supposed to tell them that we got caught in a marathon of Bake Off. <laughs> so Marcus Erickson. Who wasn't watching Bake Off either? No, but apparently he's now said he's he's interested in IndyCar oh, alongside being a reserve driver for Sauber for nineteen. He's interested in any kind of race job he can find. He would be interested in anything that has four wheels and a motor. Possibly. <laughs> um, but also in IndyCar news, um. We had the ending of, of the the IndyCar season a few weeks ago, and we came out of that, and James Hinchcliffe made some interesting comments. Um, he's actually put out a call that the drivers should organize in IndyCar for collective bargaining, not from a safety standpoint. Because normally what we hear about um, the drivers banding together and putting up that unified front, they're doing so from safety reasons. They're trying to drive the series. They're trying to drive promoters. They're trying to drive t- the tracks to make changes to the series from a safety perspective. Yeah. This isn't what he's saying. What is he saying? He's pushing, and, and actually it was an op-ed that was published in Racer Magazine. He's pushing from a pay perspective. He doesn't think that he makes enough millions of dollars? Not necessarily for him, the junior folks. Mm. So one of the things that he said, and this is um, straight out of Racer Magazine, was a lot of drivers, myself included, came up through the ranks not knowing anyone in motorsports, not having anyone to bounce ideas off of, not having anyone to essentially protect them. Many drivers have outside representation, but many don't because they can't afford to pay an agent or a management company or whatever it is. Most of the time, you're not making any money until you get to IndyCar. You're certainly not getting paid in Indy Lights. And when you sit down to hammer out that first contract, you're negotiating on your own. And absolutely, in that situation, a team can take advantage of drivers. It doesn't happen in every case, but you don't have to walk far down pit lane to find a driver with a story to tell. There are drivers out there right now that drive for free. You shouldn't have to risk your life for free. There should be league minimums like there are in the NFL. 
Well, we got a glimpse into that when we were talking to Gary McGinnis um, mm-hmm. and Robert's family about how the money kind of flows and the requirement for these kids to get sponsors. Otherwise, mom and dad are kind of paying for their way up. Oh, yeah. Um, the sponsors offset some of that, but the thing that still blows me away is that the driver's responsible for all damage to the car. Well, it's one way to make sure that they're driving a bit more carefully and to learn some racecraft as opposed to trying to barrel your way through. I understand that, but it just seems a little odd that dad's going to get a bill for, you know, all of his damage. You know, that makes yeah. Thanksgiving uncomfortable. It, it, it can, yeah. <laughs> you, you wrecked how many chassis this season? <laughs> Christmas is, you know, the the broken parts off your car because you you wrecked too much. We've also gotten a little more insight back over to Formula One. Gotten a little more insight into some of the things that went down around Red Bull signing Daniel Ricciardo. Red Bull, Renault. Or excuse me, Renault. Thank you, Renault. Signing Daniel Ricciardo. I know. I'm still in shock that Ricciardo is not going to be at Red Bull, that I still make that mistake. So I think it's a forgivable mistake. But So how did Renault do it? I mean, seriously. Well, um, Cyril Abitbull said that Renault had pushed massively to sign Carlos Sainz. Okay. But they were blocked by Red Bull. Because he was still owned by Red Bull. Still owned by, by Red Bull. Didn't really want him to do that. So in response to that, they approached Daniel Ricardo. <laughs> you who, won't give me the, the guy way, I want. I'm gonna rep- go to your t- your guy. And, and, well, that that was kind of what what drove him to it. Is while well, they were looking at other options, since they were they couldn't get Carlos signs like they wanted to, or it was going to be a bigger fight. And Daniel happened to have been looking for a contract. <laughs> and if. Yeah, they hadn't been fighting with Red Bull over Carlos's contract. They never would have looked there in the first place. And they wouldn't have had a seat open to offer it to him. Exactly. And Red Bull wound up letting Sainz go to McLaren. Mm -hmm. So why did you throw such a fit about him staying at Renault? Or was it just because I think it was because it was was Renault. Renault. I think it was because it was Renault. But he's going to a Renault team. It is, but it's McLaren. It's not Renault. But they're... That, that's less of spitting in the eye of Renault by sending him to McLaren and letting Renault keep him. No, of course. it, it, is, it Renault, is spitting Renault, in the eye of... It, it is to some extent, but, but still, if they get, he goes to McLaren, there's really not... He, they're still keeping Renault from getting their hands on Carlos Sainz. Right. But where that fell apart was the fact that then Daniel Ricciardo said, see ya. Yeah. But that was probably the logic was, well, okay, if he goes to McLaren, we're still keeping him away from Renault and, and sucks to be you. Right. It just didn't work out that way. Somebody forgot about the back door. <laughs> and as somebody in security, you always remind people to remember to lock the back door. Yeah, it's usually a good idea. Um, so in other news, speaking of McLaren, since we were just talking about McLaren, Zach Brown is pushing 
uh, Formula One to change the rules so that teams can run special one-off liveries. And I bet I know why. Okay, why? Because he can't get a title sponsor well, to set up a full-time livery, but he could probably get somebody to agree to a single race. That That's some of it. And he does talk about, you know, as we do home races for some of our sponsors, we want to be able to highlight them. So to have the opportunity to do that kind of stuff, that's... Home races for some of his sponsors. He has sponsors? Yeah, they do have sponsors. They don't have title sponsors. Remember, Hilton is a sponsor. Dell is a sponsor. Well, Pirelli is a sponsor of everybody, so they don't really have that. Um, I think CNN is still a sponsor. I mean, their car is pretty orange. It is. It is very vacant. There is not a lot there, but they do want to be able to offer that opportunity. Now, this is... The, the other thing that they'd like to be able to do or that he's pushing is to do something very similar to what, say, IndyCar or NASCAR does, where the, each car on a team could potentially run a different livery. No. You don't like that? Nope. Okay. Well, see, um, BAR back in 1999 tried to do that. No. Because they had one car that was sponsored by one tobacco company <laughs> and one car that was sponsored by another tobacco company. Mm-hmm. They got in trouble for that. Yes. But they still had to deal with the, two, with the two tobacco companies. So what they did was they put one tobacco company on the left side of the car, one tobacco company on the right side of the car, and put a zipper in the paint job between them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we'll get that, but, yeah, I mean... In terms of sponsorship opportunities, I, I could see wanting to do that, though. I don't like it. Okay. I I don't mind it as much in <clears throat> IndyCar because they're um, – they're, It's associated with the driver. It's and that, associated to the driver. I think that's the way this would work, though. But is, we have a constructor's series. There's not yeah. a constructor's series in IndyCar. Okay. It's a driver's series. We have teams. Teams share colors. Teams share liveries. We have things like the silver arrows, the little red cars. We Little? They're little red cars. No, I'm sorry. You can't call the a Ferrari. galloping horses. You, you can't call a Ferrari a little red car. You call them a red car. They're not a little red car. <laughs> They're very wee. Um... The They're alphas, the, uh, your, well, the alphabs, those could be little red cars, okay. but not the Ferraris. Okay, but the Ferraris are called the galloping horses. We have the silver arrows, the galloping horses. The scuderia. Scuderia, the, the drinks manufacturer. I mean, you could go with the, you have the Red Bull and the baby pole. Yeah. You have, that you could do. Well, you still have an energy drinks. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, those are teams. They are bigger than their drivers. Okay. No different livery, Zach. I will. I don't. Don't I, even. I will call you. I'm okay with one-offs, as long as it's not like every single race is a different one. But if you want to do, you know, Red Bull did for. Um, well, you, you could even look at it even more recently. Williams and their changes to Felipe's car to celebrate his retirement. Red Bull did something very similar when David Cothar retired. I'm okay with 
you know, special occasions, once or twice a season, you do something like that on one of your cars for a, a, a valid reason. A valid reason. And those neither of those were about the sponsor. It was about the driver or saying... David Cothard kind of was. Because what they did was his, his special livery was to promote a, a charity or a foundation that he was backing. So oh. in a way it kind of was, but it was for him. But it was a thing. And the other thing was the fundamental livery didn't actually change. I don't remember I think Cothard's. Cothard's did. Cothard's might have. I don't remember that one. But uh, Massa's, the fundamental it livery didn't. Yeah. didn't. It Instead of Martini, it said, thank you. It said, it said Massa. It said, thank you on the back. Yeah. On the tail whip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So before we go on, this is probably a really good time that we have got to talk about the results of the Fantasy GP this week. Okay. In Sochi, Mercedes had a big win, but was it worth big points in the league? Michael's Mach 5 Racing won the week with 196 points, with Patricia's The Bird Team in second with 158 points. Agro's Puppet Racing and Richard's Fly Fast Team tied for third with 128 points, while Phil's Team Rocket was fifth with 120 points, and the boy brought in just 68 points to end up in sixth place. In the overall standings, Patricia's The Bird Team is back in first with 2,039 points, and Phil slid back in the second with 2,017 points. Michael holds on to third with 1,997 points, and Agro is still in fourth with 1,907 points. Richard's Fly Fast team passes the boy to move up to fifth with 1,632 points, while the boy fell back to sixth with 1,624 points. You can still test your predictions against ours every week by going to fantasygp.com and entering the league code 148-31491. had an amazing week did. last week. <laughs> I did. Very good. Congratulations. Still in second. No. Well, third. You're in third. Still in third. You're in third. But Phil's one week uh, being on top has now pushed him back to second. Yeah. I won't gloat too much because I'm quite sure that after this week, I might flip again because there's not many points that separate Phil and I right now. Did, well, here's the question. Did you go for Lewis Hamilton? To win? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, then I think you got a fighting chance. Unless something odd happens. I, From what we've seen so far in qualifying and in practice, I think that uh, the disintegration of Ferrari will continue. Well, you and I have talked about this. We feel that it is fairly safe for the bloke in the bird prediction to declare that it is mathematically possible for Vettel to win the driver's championship, but highly unlikely. Yeah, and I was pretty close to making that call as we went into Russia. And then we had Russia. And then I definitely made that call. So just uh, go through a quick little bunch of statistics. One... No time in the history of all of Formula One has someone won the world, the driver's championship, having ever been 50 points behind in the series. Mm-hmm. 
So that's one thing to put out there. The other thing is ignoring the possibility of a DNF. Yep. In order for Vettel to win the driver's championship, the shortest distance between those two lines without a DNF yep. is that he wins all five of the next of the last five races mm-hmm. and Lewis comes in third for four of them and fourth for one of them. Yeah. I think it's much more likely. Um, And again, as we record this, we are recording between qualifying and actually because it's in Japan and we're recording later than, well, late on a Saturday night. Normally we do this Sunday morning. We are still a few hours away from race start in Suzuka. But as we record it there, Suzuka has not occurred. And with that in mind, I think it is highly likely, even without the race having started, that we're going to have the cha- the drivers' championship decided in Texas. I think they said that if Lewis won in Suzuka, it would be Mexico. Well, guaranteed in Mexico. Um, you know, w- with him being fifty points ahead, w- he doesn't need to win the last two races of the season. Right. You know, that that's – it would be decided one way or the other in Mexico. It's it's now how much earlier it gets. Well, it can't get that much earlier. We have Japan and U.S. Right. So. Um, but, yeah, and because we are between qualifying and race start, Hamilton is sitting on pole and Vettel is in P9. Yeah, that's kind of staggering. But let's not get too deep into Suzuka because we've, we've got – some stuff to talk about first we got to talk about russia oh what little that there was that were fun what little there was to talk about russia we've got to talk about russia and then there is some build-up stuff going into um into suzuka that we need to talk about too so let's let's not go running off into that just yet the 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 two big stories to come out of russia from the on-track action one, I guess, is less of a big story than the other. But that was the very brief battle between Lewis and Seb on track that didn't last very long. And yeah. Lewis ran away. Oh, yeah. You know, from a the brilliant f- pass. The form that we had seen from Ferrari in Spa and the form that we saw from Ferrari in Monza, I would not have expected ferrari to be so far behind in russia you you're very right there but it was very interesting i was listening and reading about you know this idea of we keep talking about the ferrari of spa ferrari of spa this Mm -hmm. year and i think it might have been jolian palmer that said it that i it was like one of those light bulb moments he says what if spa was the anomaly yeah and we keep going back to what happened to, you know, they were so awesome in Spa, and we keep going back to they were awesome and they've fallen off. And he said, what if it was the other way around? And I'm like, if you look at the season, it probably is more of what Jolian just said, that that was the anomaly. Well, see, see, I disagree with that only because the performance that the Ferraris had in Monza was right up there with what they had in spot. The Ferraris should have won Monza. 
the should have. Yes, Lewis had an absolutely amazing lap to put him as far up as he, into second as it did and get ahead of Seb. But those Ferraris were hands down faster than the Mercedes. But that was where we saw it because at some point it's going to manifest itself with Ferrari. It's happened the last couple of years is we saw the first true cracks, those first post uh, midseason break cracks that Ferrari tends to get. And Ferrari made some crappy calls and Seb had his incident with Lewis at, uh, what was that, turn three or turn four. Mm-hmm. And that just left everything wide open for Mercedes to have the run that they did. Yeah. Remember what Toto said at the beginning of the season. This will not be won by somebody doing better. It will be lost by little mistakes. Yeah. And, you know, what's been interesting about this season is that is I, I I think some of us kind of expected we're seeing that when Mercedes gets put under pressure, they start to make a lot of those little mistakes and they start to make those strategy errors. And they've had a lot more strategy issues this year than they have in previous years. And almost every time it's happened, it's been when they've been under pressure. Mm-hmm. But the other difference is that Ferrari's been doing the same thing. And Ferrari's is making them some of them worse. Yeah. The other thing to keep in mind is as much as we want to talk about how Seb is, the error Seb is making is throwing away his championship, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that Lewis is driving in some of the top form he's ever driven. He He is is having some blistering laps. But but I think... That's also, I think, the real comparison here. You know, there, there's – when Seb had his run of four titles, there was a lot of folks going, oh, you know, Seb can't pass because he just – he needs to blow to the front and as soon as – run away with a race from the front and that's the end of it. And so that, that means that Seb's not a good driver. Mm-hmm. And the reality is it's not true. I mean, Seb has shown throughout this season and in previous seasons that he – you give him the opportunity, and he can slice his way through the field with the best of them. Where I think the real comparison is, if you look at Seb and Lewis, especially this season, side by side, is the number of silly mistakes with big consequences. Mm-hmm. Lewis is driving at top form. And we know Lewis is pushing, and he's pushing and he's driving well. Seb, on the other hand, also clearly pushing, but he's making silly mistakes. Putting the car off in Hockenheim in the rain when he should have walked away with that race. The, the errors that we've seen the last couple of races. A all wobble, these silly little mistakes. A wobble he here, a lock up there. Mm-hmm. But... And some of them are silly mistakes. Some of them are he's not driving at the top. Seb's not driving at the top of his game, and he's up against Lewis at the top of his. But he hasn't even necessarily had the better of Valtteri all the time. No. The number of times that he's gone up against Valtteri and collided. 
mm-hmm. instead of passing. And that's that's the other thing is that, you know, there's a lot of these little incidents that he's had that Lewis he, seems to be escaping. Yeah, he's not coming out of them smelling like a rose by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. So. so the other big talking point, though, is the team orders. I alluded to this at the top of the show. Yes. And, you know, as much as people are ticked off about it, not really surprised. <laughs> I mean, the, the minute you, you stop, and, and on the Sky coverage in the States, they talked about it when, when, when they were debating as to whether or not Mercedes was going to do it, was the fact that if they put in the team orders and Seb stayed where he was, that was going to be a 50-point lead. Mm-hmm. And a 50-point lead buys them a whole lot more room than if it was at, what, 47 or 45 is what we were looking at? Uh, I think it was a 43. It's a seven-point difference. A 43-point lead. Mm-hmm. You know, gives them a whole lot more breathing room if they need to do an engine change or something like that. That's a much bigger deal when the series is as tight as it is. Which also, you know, I was thinking about it this week. When you really look at how far we've come, okay, Spa, every we had that race, and everyone is thinking, game on. Mm-hmm. You know, this is going to be a run to the end. The Ferraris found something in midseason. Oh, boy. We've had two races since then, and now we're talking mathematically, Seb's out of it. We've had more than two races since midseason, we, right? No, since Spa. Okay, so Spa. We come out of Spa, Spa, they win. Everyone's going. We got a race on till the end of the season. This is going to be great. Game on. We have crappy Singapore for Ferrari, crappy Russia for Ferrari. Mathematically, Seb's out of it. Two races. We've had, but since Spa, we've had Monza, Singapore. I'm sorry, Monza is what I was missing. Yeah, it's not two races. Okay, three, but still three races. We go from the, this. This is a, se- a series and a season. To up, oh, it's over. It's over. Yeah. But what are your thoughts on the team orders? So, truthfully, I don't care. And I know that sounds really awful, but here's the reality of the situation. F1 has two championships. Mm -hmm. And all the teams and all the drivers are honestly working for two different championships. And sometimes they might feel like they are at odds with each other. Yeah. Because uh, the team championship, having a 1-2, it doesn't matter which driver's in first or second – the one, two, you get the total of the points. All things are good. But the other piece of this is it's also the team's responsibility to help each driver potentially make it to the driver's championship. Yeah. And the closer you are to the driver's championship, the more likely that somebody's going to come in and say, we got to give the points to the other guy because that other guy is closer than you are to the, that's going to pull a bigger lead for them. And 
that's why I don't think I care. I mean, I've kind of listened to this about across the board, but the reality is every professional sports team in the world makes decisions based on so many different factors. And as much as I want to believe our drivers race their hearts out every single weekend, I know that that's not really reality. They, they do, they strategically make decisions. And this is the key part. Everything about on-track action is a series of strategic decisions mm-hmm. that are made to get those cars to the checkered flag in the best possible order. Those come down to whether or not they're managing tires, whether they're managing fuel, whether they're managing the race, whether they're pushing hard on on-track action or possibly risking crashes. I mean, those are all of those key strategic decisions. And team orders is just another key strategic decision to me. Well, you know, as much as Total Wolf and Mercedes admitted that they really didn't want to be put in that position. They had they told preferred everybody that, that they weren't going to do it. Yeah, and they, they prefer to let the drivers race whenever possible. They wanted to, to allow it to win. They felt that the circumstances that they ended up with at that point forced their hand. That being said, Total Wolf also came out and said, I would much rather be the villain this week than the idiot in Abu Dhabi. And I think that that's 100% the case. Yeah. Because he'll get over being the villain on one Sunday afternoon. But if this, if the race, if the driver's title had come within those seven points into Abu Dhabi and it got lost when you had yeah. that opportunity... You know, it was last. It was it was last year when Lewis gave up the spot to Valtteri, and there was a lot of question as to whether or not that was going to hurt him. Right, and everybody was like, "Oh, well, if 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 this race comes down, if the series comes down to one point, you're gonna be, you're gonna regret it. You're gonna regret doing it." And no, I'm not gonna regret giving him back the place because he deserved the place. Yeah, and I kind of got a sense that Lewis's sense of honor was kind of bruised this week. I mean, he got a lot of flack for it. And I loved his post-interview at one point. He's like, the racer in me wants the win, and yay, any way I can get it, awesome. But the human in me knows it was Valtteri's. Yeah. And you got to give Valtteri credit. He obeyed team orders, and he did his job. And he sucked it up. So... I don't know. I think it's a bigger made-up story than it is in reality. Uh, I don't know. It's still to me, it's just another strategic. It, it's decision. a talking point, you know. It, it it it's something that gets us talking about what happened. Yeah. So, in other news, and the run-up to this week, the uh, team principals and the team bosses of the various teams. Uh, held a meeting, it was a fairly informal meeting, in the Mercedes Motorhome to discuss improving the state of Formula One. Yes. So we, we got some word of, of the discussion. Well, we, we heard some of their discussion. Right. Ludo's right. Psychotic, but absolutely right. We got to take these bastards. Now... Could fight him with conventional weapons. That could take years and cost millions of lives. No, no, no. 
No, in this case, I think we have to go all out. I think this situation absolutely requires a really futile and stupid gesture be done on somebody's part. We're just the guys to do it. Let's do it. Stupid and futile gesture, huh? Yep. Anytime they're talking about improving the show, whatever they're going to come up with is going to be stupid and futile. My problem with this is that they're talking about messing with the one part. Oh, we're not there yet. There's other stuff they talked about first. Oh. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get to that. Some of the things that they talked about. One of the things that they talked about is, you know, the one of the problems that we have with Formula One is that everybody uses the same strategy. Mm-hmm. We're down to a one-stop strategy because the tires can handle it. So everyone's doing the same one-stop strategy, and that gets kind of boring. There's no mix-up in the strategies. So somebody said, well, hey, why don't we go to high-deg tires? Didn't we go through this one? I mean, I'm having deja vu all over again. Yeah, um, I think it was oh, it was Otto Safnauer who came out and said, yeah, um, you remember we, we, we did that whole thing? You slagged Pirelli for giving you tires that fell apart and it didn't work. No! <laughs> what are you thinking? It's not going to work this time around because it didn't work last time around. So one of the other things that they discussed was the possibility of making changes to qualifying. Now... Before we talk about what they want to do in qualifying, let me remind everybody of the general feeling coming out of the last time they monkeyed with qualifying. I have a clue what's going on. Those that have come to cheer on their heroes can't see them and there's nothing to, to cheer on. Got to change. Don't like it. Not acceptable. It needs putting in the skip. The new qualifying warm-up is pretty rubbish. Well, I think firstly we should apologise to the to the fans and the, the viewers because that's not what qualifying you know should be. The crescendo was the bloke getting out of the car. Right. And the irony is he could have actually waved his own second flag. Yeah. He was on pole position. Let's find out what the fans want. Has anyone asked? Do you remember that crazy qualifying idea they had back in 2016 that only lasted one race? <laughs> well, apparently they forgot that crazy qualifying scheme that they came up with in 2016 because they're looking a monkey with it again. Well, they're looking a monkey with qualifying, but not reintroduce the crazy one for 2016. They want a monkey with it with a new crazy idea. Yeah. In, instead, they want to have an eight-car Q4 session. Right. That. Yeah. They want to change the number of cars that get dropped each session and have an eight-car shootout at the end. Why that would change the feel of qualifying, I don't know. Well, they want to change how that session works to begin with. It wouldn't be the shootout like we have now. Instead, it would. Um, what Charlie Whiting is saying that they might look at is that each car would do a single lap in turn um, instead. The length of the session could remain sufficient for each car to do two runs. But single lap, two runs, that's it, best time, move on. I, I, don't, I don't see a point. The three-level qualifying 
works. This is not what we're asking for. We're asking for better racing, not better qualifying, better racing. Different session. I know. I really get amused that they try to fix racing with changing the qualifying. It's, it's, it doesn't make any sense to me. One of the big complaints about qualifying in today's state has to do with the tire choice and locking in the tire choice in Q2. Not that yeah. this is the solution and don't get me wrong, but there is talk that something with that might be interesting. Um, but the other piece of this is, I guess at one point there used to be a one-lap qualifier. There there was, and the, the current um, rules around the tires and qualifying is relatively recent. I mean, mm-hmm. that's within the last, like, three years. Since we've started watching is when they did this, because originally um, for the top ten cars – the tire that they started on was the tire that they ran in Q3. Right. And the concern there and where that was causing a problem was that, yeah, you want to set the best possible time so that you can get on pole, but if you chewed up those tires, you needed to start a race with them. Right. So that was where they came up with this idea of, okay, make it based on the Q2 tire, your fastest time in Q2, that way these cars can go out and they can push as hard as humanly possible in Q3 to get that pole time and not have to worry about needing to reuse those tires. So that was the idea behind it. Um, Where that ran into a problem was in particular in Sochi this year where Q2 rolled around and the bottom five cars didn't bother to run at all because there was no point in running because by not running since they knew where they were going to be no matter what they knew they didn't have a choice a a chance to be in the top 10 they kept that free tire choice for the start of the race right and they weren't locked into it well and that's the other thing to keep in mind i remember an interview right after the change in uh tire choice uh came about there was an interview with Nico Hulkenberg. What particular race it was, I have long forgotten. But he qualified P11 and made the comment, far better to qualify P11 and get free choice in tire than to qualify P10 and get stuck with the tires that... Oh, he said that this year. Yeah. That, that, that wasn't even when the rule change no, was that He, has, he did he that said this it, year. Well, he said it a long time ago, too. Yeah, we've heard it from several other drivers. They've pointed out the fact that, you know, by by ending up in in P11, it gives the team a lot more flexibility. And we've seen teams capitalize it on the fact that they start off on that harder tire, they go deeper into the race, and they end up gaining significantly and end up far up in the top 10 as a result. Mm -hmm. Because all you have to do, truly, is if you can go deep into the race and let everybody else have to have a two-stop strategy, Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get out far enough. You can make your way up just from their first round of pits that you're above the pit window from where you started. You've gained. Oh, absolutely. The other change, and this is actually coming from the drivers, and not necessarily a bad idea, although I struggle to figure out how this is going to work. Um, over in Suzuka, we've got the famous 130R turn which the reason why it's called 130R is because the radius of the turn is 130 degrees. Okay. So 
up until the current generation of cars, 130R was considered a very difficult corner to get the braking right, to get everything right, to make it through that turn quickly and safely was very, very difficult. However, with the increased downforce on these new on this generation of cars, that's not an issue. Drivers can take it flat out. Right. I heard that it was a flat out <clears throat> corner this year. So as a result of this, the drivers are actually asking to remove downforce here. What they'd like is since the FIA has been making changes to the DRS zones is to allow DRS to be used on 130R. Mm. Now, where I struggle, and, and, and I get the idea, by, by reducing downforce, you make it harder to take that turn flat out. What I struggle with, though, is the way DRS works. Because, as you recall, the way DRS works is that that flap is open in a DRS zone until you put your foot on the brake. Right. At which point the flap closes. So if you're going to allow DRS through 130R, does that mean that you're going to somehow override that brake pedal input so that the downforce stays off, stays off the car and drivers have to manage the brakes through it? I don't, and I don't know if it's possible to do that. I, and I don't know really what they're thinking, but I get the idea of they like they the drivers really like the fact that that's a difficult corner. They want a challenge. Mm -hmm. And the, this is a circuit. Suzuka is a circuit that the drivers really like. Yeah. Well, I thought you had more. No. Oh, okay. So our last story. Um, this past week, the. City of Miami or the Miami City Commission uh, voted to indefinitely defer the resolution as to whether or not to hold a Grand Prix in Miami. And all who are shocked, please raise your hand. Keep your hands on the wheel. I was going to say, as I look around, nobody's raising their hands. No. Not even a cat's raising its paw. I mean, it's. Yeah, okay, but the whatever. cat doesn't care. Okay. So, yeah, um, it doesn't look like there will be a race next year or 2020 or possibly ever at this point. I think the, the dream of a race in Miami is now dead. Apparently, the bribes were not sufficient. It is indefinitely on hold. Which means it's not happening. I would not expect it. I would expect another race at this point in Las Vegas before possibly a race to be held in las vegas in the parking lot of caesar's palace <laughs> before this happens interesting are you willing to put that in your predictions i might consider it that a race would happen in caesar's palace parking lot a race actually let me rephrase that because there's a reason why i specifically say caesar's palace a race will a formula one race will happen again <laughs> in the parking lot of Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas before a race comes to Miami. Exactly. And on that note, we'll call it a show. Because it's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him. Because he can take it. Because he's not our hero. 
sector. <laughs> 